This is the story of Stephen the Martyr. Seven deacons were chosen by the apostles. Among them was Stephen, the eldest of the seven. He was established as archdeacon and was a man full of faith and filled with the Holy Spirit. He did many great wonders and miraculous signs among the people and preached Christ to them. Disputes from the Jewish teachers of the law arose against him, for they knew that Stephen spoke with wisdom. So in secret, they convinced men to falsely accuse him. We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. The people were stirred, and the scribes and elders came to Stephen. They seized him and brought him before the council to answer these charges. False witnesses who had secretly been set up were also present and said before the council, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. The high priest questioned Stephen about these accusations, and he responded with boldness and wisdom concerning the history of the Jewish nation, the holy prophets, and the execution of the Messiah. All who heard his speech became enraged, for his words had cut straight to their hearts. Suddenly, being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed into heaven and saw Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The Jews shouted, covered their ears and seized him at once, dragging him out of the city. They began to stone Stephen as he called on God and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep and gave up his soul to Christ. His body, though it was left for beasts, was secretly taken up and buried by a Jewish teacher named Gamliel and his son Habib, who both believed in Jesus Christ. Stephen suffered at around the age of 30 and became the first Christian martyr. The End Our theme in these weeks after Easter is the church moves forward in hope. We have this hope theme here. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. You might have noticed the table. It's, it's beautifully arrayed in flowers now, but in the midst of it also is a roadway, and there's a truck that's moving forward with hope. It says hope on the side of it, so uh, kind of visualize there. There's also some rocks on the road that remind us of the obstacles on the way. Our theme is the church moves forward in hope, but this story, this story that we just heard about, Stephen's persecution and Stephen's violent death, must have set that early church back, don't you think? Last week we talked about how people were being attracted to this new little church and how uh, people were winning favor with the people in the community and God was adding to their numbers every day. But now this, this story, this discouraging story. This is at the end of Acts 7. At the beginning of Acts 8, it tells us that more persecution broke out and the apostles fled. The apostles all ran away. Some of them to those far places that David mentioned before he read to us from 1 Peter. It seems like the theme rather now should be the skirt, the church scatters in fear instead of the church moves forward in hope. But we know that they did not give up. 
Even Stephen didn't give up. He was faithful. He was praising God right up through the time he was being stoned to death. He was even praying grace and forgiveness for his attackers as they threw stones at him. Stephen and the early church had a quality that we call perseverance. Perseverance. And that's how they moved forward. While the early church, and more specifically Stephen, endured great persecution, their deep faith and perseverance enabled them to continue to move forward with great hope. Our hope in Jesus helps us to persevere as well. So let's look at that briefly as we look at the story of Stephen. First of all, Stephen's persecution. Secondly, it's Stephen's perseverance, and then what that might say about the church's hope. In Acts chapter 6, we learn a little bit about Stephen. We learn about his job, that he was, um, he was appointed by the apostles. We, we get the story that the apostles had gotten very busy, and as the church was growing, they had many tasks, not only teaching, but now caring for, specifically for the senior adults, the, women, the widows in their midst. And so they appointed seven people to care for them, and they were probably the earliest of, of deacons and deaconesses. And the one that was first noted is, is Stephen. They were selected as, this, as the apostles laid hands on them and prayed for them. But Stephen was more than a deacon and a servant. We also see that God was working through him to do some powerful and even some miraculous things among God's people. And so the scriptures give us then here briefly a, a glimpse of Stephen's character. Acts 6.5 says he was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. A few verses later, verse 8 says he was full of grace and full of power. And we also see that he was outspoken. He was outspoken for Jesus. He was outspoken for who Jesus was and is. And he was unafraid to let people know. So Stephen was strong in his character, but as we heard, that led to Stephen's problem. His ministry and his influence drew the attention of some Jewish leaders, some of them from far away, from Egypt and Alexandria and up in what is now the country of Turkey. And these leaders can argued with him, and it came then to the local Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin. They argued with him, but the Holy Spirit gave him great wisdom to speak truth. They were so frustrated with him, they were looking for a way to take him down, that they actually made up lies about him. They were whispering to each other and say, go say that Stephen said this. They persuaded other people to say that they had heard him say things that were blasphemy, that were spoken against the one true God. And so they ended up arresting him, seizing him, and taking him then to this Sanhedrin, this ruling council of Jewish leaders, again claiming false things about him, claiming that he would bring change, that this Jesus teaching of his would bring changes to their way of life and religion. And this all led then to his persecution. Stephen's persecution, but we also see then secondly Stephen's perseverance in Acts 7 especially. I wanted to find a definition of perseverance, so here we get it up here. Perseverance is steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. So moving forward, the church moving forward in hope, where are we going? But steadfastness, even when something difficult is happening on the way. I did a little bit of looking around, and I found a children's definition, too, on a a website, and it said this. Perseverance is the ability and self-control that pushes you to work through challenges. Having perseverance means that when you are facing a challenge, you use your mind and your body to overcome it. Perseverance means you are able to wait and work through difficulties, whether they have to do with your mind, your body, or your emotions. 
Uh, now, that one is devoid of anything spiritual, but as we look at Stephen, and if we consider what we're called to in Scripture, Stephen's perseverance was empowered by the Spirit. Stephen had a certain hope in Jesus, which enabled him to press on and to face the challenges that were there. And as Stephen gets ready to speak, Luke, who is the author of the, the, the book of Acts, notes that his face looked like the face of an angel. As Stephen got ready to share the story of God, his face looked like the face of an angel. And the rest of chapter 7 then becomes Stephen's story. It's a long chapter, but it's wonderful because it's really kind of an Old Testament history lesson. Stephen begins with Abraham and on through Isaac and Jacob and then through Joseph down in Egypt and then all the way through Moses, Joshua, David, and Solomon. Those Bible stories that we know, we forget kind of what order they come in, but this is a great way to double-check it and see the order that they do come in. But he's not just telling Bible stories, and it's not just history. All through the story, he is pointing to the Messiah to come, pointing to the Messiah to come, pointing to the Messiah who came, he says to them, and you killed him. Everything that the law of God has prepared us for, and you disobeyed that law, he says to them. This one was everything your prophets had spoken of and anticipated, and you murdered him, says Stephen. Didn't go over well with a Sanhedrin. And then we come to Acts, the very end of Acts chapter 7, which is the actual lectionary reading for today, that psalm about rock and fortresses from the lectionary, the, the Peter, the general epistle of Peter to these people scattered about being living stones built together as part of the lectionary, and then this story of Stephen. Acts 7.54 begins and says, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. And they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Here's a picture I found of Stephen down in a pit. We don't know if that's how it happened, but put down in a pit where he can't run away. And look in the hands of his accusers around him. You see large stones to throw at him. It's a horrible death, isn't it? But in the midst of Stephen's words, can you hear his hope? (laughs) Can you hear his perseverance? Can you hear our hope? Stephen knew God. He knew where he was going. He knew forgiveness and grace he'd experienced, and he wanted it even for those who were attacking him. Even in his suffering was his perseverance. Later in Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul speaks of the connection between perseverance and hope. Romans 5, 2 says, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character, hope. Sufferings produce perseverance. And that strengthens our character. And that leads us to hope in Christ. Stephen became the first Christian martyr. And even though his death immediately caused the believers to scatter, 
they started churches out where they scattered. (laughs) The church grew and the church still had hope. Hope like an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And they persevered. The early church persevered. The scriptures today underscore then the church's hope today. We've heard images of rock and fortress from Psalm 31. We've heard this image. We heard of it as we were singing, as we talked of being built together, of Jesus being the cornerstone and building on him. I love this image of living stones being built together. I remember the little Baptist church I went to, my sophomore year of college out in Santa Barbara, and they had a, a singing group. Now, granted, this was um, 1971, and the singing group was called the Living Stones. Isn't that great? I'm pretty sure there was bell-bottom pants and long lapels. But anyway, but I still love that's when I first heard that image as a young Christian, that it came from Peter, that we are living stones built together, and this is where our hope comes from, and our small group people testify to that. We persevere when we're connected to God, when our faith is built on Jesus. We persevere better together, connected together, built together like living stones into a spiritual household, a persevering church, because we know who we are and we know whose we are and we know where we're going. We persevere because we are hope-based creatures. Isn't that great? We are hope-based creatures. Some of you were around a couple of years ago when during the Lenten season we worked our way through the book The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. We had, remember we had the great big dining room table up here? Talked about gathering at this table. Tim Keller is a, a marvelous author. And in his 2016 book, Making Sense of God, Keller paints this picture of perseverance and hope. Imagine you have two women of the same age, the same socioeconomic status, the same educational level, and even the same temperament. You hire both of them and say to each, you are to be part of an assembly line, and I want you to put part A into slot B, and then hand what you have assembled to someone else. I want you to do that over and over for eight hours a day. You put them in identical rooms with identical lighting, temperature, and ventilation. You give them the very same number of breaks in the day, and it is very boring work. Their conditions are the same in every way except for one difference. You tell the first woman at the end of the year you will pay her $30,000. And you tell the second woman that at the end of the year you will pay her $30 million. After a couple of weeks, the first woman will be saying, Isn't this tedious? Isn't it driving you insane? Aren't you thinking of quitting? And the second woman will say, No, this is perfectly acceptable. In fact, I whistle while I work. (laughs) What's going on? You have two human beings who are experiencing identical circumstances in radically different ways. What makes a difference? It is their expectation of the future. This illustration is not intended to say we all what we all need is just a good income. It does, however, show that what we believe about our future controls how we are experiencing our present. What we believe about our future controls how we experience our present. We are irreducibly hope-based creatures. We persevere. We press on because of our certain hope in Jesus. 
I get a little email every day from a guy named Tom Kane. Tom and his wife worshipped here once about four or five years ago, one Sunday, and he said, do you mind if I put you on my email list? To which I wanted to go, I am on 300,000, but I said yes, and it's the one I do read every day because it's short. I love it. What Tom does is every day he puts, posts some quote of some historical figure, either living or gone or whatever, a quote, and then he has a verse of scripture that sort of backs it up or applies to it. That's all it is. So it's a, it's a quick read. And just Friday, Friday opened up. And here's what it said. It was a quote by the 19th century English preacher Charles Spurgeon. By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. <laughs> by perseverance. And then I googled it up and found this. Anybody heard of scripturesquegraphics.com? There's all kinds of little posters there, by the way. By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. But Tom puts the quote there, but he also puts a passage of scripture, and it just happened to be this Roman text that I already mentioned. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Where do you need help persevering today? What are the areas where persevering is just a challenge right now? It might just be some, your your faith is sure, and yet there's some life circumstances that are just really challenging. There's some unknowns out there. There's some decisions that have to be made. There's some health issues that are making that rock under you feel a little bit crumbly. Where do you need help persevering as an individual? It could be a challenge that's before you on your job. Or it could be at the deeper places of faith and hope. We come to church, we say we believe this and we do believe it, but sometimes living every day, we're not quite sure we're we're really standing on the rock. We can sing of it, we can talk about Christ the cornerstone, but what does it really mean to be on Christ the cornerstone? And so I think when we encounter texts like this and stories like this, and we talk about a faith-based assurance, a hope, I mean, said hope-centered assurance. It's time to ask the second question of, is our hope truly in Jesus? In what he's doing in the world and what he's doing in the lives of others and what he's doing in the life of our church as we try to be these crazy living stones that are so different from each other sometimes and yet God is building us together. But it all comes down to our hope in Jesus of committing our life to him, trusting him, following him, and standing strong on that stone, the cornerstone of Jesus, and letting him strengthen us for the suffering, building perseverance and character, and always, always, always hope. Hope is an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we love your word and we love these images of the rock of salvation, the cornerstone. But we also see the violence of the rocks that were hurled at Stephen. And we know that that happens in the world, Lord. That suffering and struggle happens. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a hope that's firm and secure. We thank you for the gift of perseverance that we have as we work together and grow together. Help us, Lord Jesus, to find our hope in you. We pray this in your name. Amen.